You're listening to UMAS Radio with Andrew and Armand, uncovering the best in innovation across the globe. This place is phenomenal. Super sunny outside as I'm looking out the window. There's a great amount of things to do, and the people are just awesome. Uh, today's podcast is featuring Tony Monderano, who founded Zample Box, which is a subscription service. Um, the guy is pretty much a rebel entrepreneur. The things he's done to build his business have been phenomenal. So listen in, check it out, and let us know what you think. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How you guys? Good, man. We're good. We're out here in uh, Bogota, Colombia in this little apartment interviewing you. So we're super excited to uh, see what you have to say. And um, how did we meet initially? Do you remember that? It's a really good question. God, how did we meet? Um, you know what? I'm, draw- I'm really drawing a blank there. I think it was I, I uh, you're, you're at Code Fellows, right? You're the, uh, oh, well, that's right. And I think that I had gone, I was working at Code Fellows in a director of marketing position. And I believe I, I had gone, oh, that's right. Okay. So I had gone to um, SCC, Seattle Central Community College to give a talk about Code Fellows. Yeah. And we ended up just sitting right next to each other. And you guys were working on uh, an app that you were building. I can't remember exactly. Uh, it was kind of like Vine, I think, if I remember correctly. And you were looking for some developers. Is that right? Yeah, it was like uh, you can vote up and down uh, little videos that you know get asked questions and stuff like that. Crazy. Well, thing I remember, I remember your your fiery shoes, and uh, I think they were like uh, fucking orange or some crazy color. Like those are tight. <laughs> yeah, I was I was trying to bring neon back, and I think I've succeeded a little bit here in Seattle. Neon's pretty much uh, blowing up. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of neon jackets myself, so I'm pretty stoked about that. So, uh, yeah, so, man, tell us about, um, you know, your path on, you know, life and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So, you know, that's, you know, it'd take me 24 years to really tell my full story <laughs> from, from birth to where I'm at right now. But yeah. you know, I guess the, the short of it to bring you up probably into the 20s, which is where I guess it gets a little bit more exciting and more relevant but you know, I've always been a, an entrepreneur, probably because my father is a uh, is a really scrappy entrepreneur. You know, I've kind of followed in his footsteps quite a bit. At a young age, he, you know, had uh, started a hotel, actually bought a hotel of all things, and fixed up the hotel only to lose it, and ended up living out of a car after the hotel had been repossessed. And you know, he'd always kind of had these big ups and downs, and I don't know all of his stories, and seeing him eventually succeed really motivated me. So from a very young age, I was always, you know, really into new ideas and figuring out how to uh, productize, if that's even a word, productize those ideas and bring them to a market. So I remember, uh, you know, like when, when I was really little, I think even like five years old is funny. It's one of my earlier memories of, of coming up with an invention, but I was playing with two magnets and I had this idea. I was like, whoa, you know, these, these magnets, they're so cool. And, uh, and I put them in a little, I had them in a little tube. And so I was pressing the magnets together with like the, you know, opposite sides next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this would be a really cool shock absorber. They would never go bad because you're essentially using magnets and there's no actual like coil to go bad. And so that, at that point, I think that was like my first memory of like coming up with a new idea and wanting to bring it to market. Of course, I was way too young to do that. So nothing really went from it, but 
<laughs> you know, through high school, I kept trying a bunch of different ideas. Um, my first real business, I guess, where there was some cash was in high school when I was buying and selling electronics off of Craigslist. So I was, you know, looking up, looking up iPods and essentially buying iPods and selling them. And I was making 20 bucks here, 30 bucks there until I found a, you know, a connection that actually was getting uh, huge quantities of them refurbished from Costco, uh, auctions essentially. And so then I started selling like, you know, hundreds of them and then a few thousand of them. And that turned out to be a pretty good business. Then I went to college and in college I became a lot more interested in not only just, you know, businesses, but technology. So I think that that was kind of a product of, you know, our entire generation. And you guys probably have seen that too. I mean, just technology is technology and the internet has really raised our generation. Oh, at least, yeah. you know, that's, that's how I feel. And I guess so that people know, and you know, I'm I'm 24 years old, so take that into consideration. I guess through this interview. Uh, so after getting to college, I went to school down in California. Had a great time from Seattle. So going down to California is always it's always great. Went down there for you know for the good weather and the beaches, and ended up doing some studying. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, it in the tight schedule. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty hard to do a lot of studying when you're when you're living right on the beach, yeah. literally. <laughs> um, so yeah, while I was at while I was at school down there, I started a few different ventures. Uh, I was working on a real time photo sharing startup prior to Instagram that would end up being a lot like Instagram. But unfortunately, I just didn't really have enough experience with you know actually building software products. You know, I I uh, it's a pretty good story actually. So. Yeah, I had this idea. I essentially saw the the emergence of the iPhone and you know having a camera and how awesome it would be to be able to bring people together around photos, you know, shared in real time. Yeah. And so I had this idea and you know, without going into too much detail, I ended up starting a company and placing ads in local school newspapers and I eventually recruited a team of about four people and we were working, you know, after after school at nights on building this app and you know, unfortunately I kind of suffered from the curse of of trying to, you know, have a perfect product before releasing it, not really understanding the importance of just getting to market and then iterating. And so I was spent all this time trying to build the perfect product, which eventually prevented me from even releasing it. And then a lot of competitors came out and I just kind of lost steam. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, I think that was like 2010, 2009, 2010. Then about the same time, I started a, a vaping company which is what I'm currently doing now, but this was a different company. Hmm. I was uh, I was importing via uh, Alibaba.com. I was importing Sigalike starter kits, which if you don't know what that means, I'm guessing that nobody listening to this knows what that means because you <laughs> two electronic cigarettes to know that. But basically, if you're familiar with blue electronic cigarettes, the ones that are essentially black with a blue tip, those are often called Sigalikes because they look like cigarettes. They're small and you know, are meant, meant to somewhat resemble a cigarette. So I was, I was importing those. I was selling them online. And that turned out to be a pretty good business. But then, unfortunately, there, was, uh, there were a couple really big lawsuits within the industry between uh, the federal government, actually, and some of the larger private companies. And I was thinking to myself, like, God, do I really want to get involved with this? Do I really want to be sued? You know, I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. I still need to finish my school. Otherwise, my parents will kick my ass, <laughs> frankly. And so, uh, so I ended up winding that company down. 
and thought like, oh God, you know, this sucks. Like I really wanted to do this. And I didn't do it. So then fast forward a little bit more and I started another technology company, but this time I actually, you know, learned from my previous one and realized that I really need to get something built and not just have a bunch of ideas and a bunch of, you know, code that wasn't released. I actually needed to build and ship something. So I started a company called Paid Punch. And the whole concept was that was with that company was really to solve the Groupon problem, and, and which I described as this problem of lack of repeat business, right? So with Groupon, you know, you essentially have this issue where, you know, it's it's great for consumers because they get a huge discount, but they become loyal not to the companies they're actually going to. They become loyal to the huge discounts through Groupon. So you know, every business to succeed has to have. You know, it has to have repeat business, right? It has to have recurring business. And so with Paid Punch, the whole goal was to essentially get consumers to prepay for value that's discounted but spread across multiple visits. So that turned out to be, you know, a pretty awesome – it was a really good idea. It still, frankly, is a good idea. Mm-hmm. We filed a bunch of IP around it. Um, and I ran with that from 2011 until through, – through when I graduated in 2012 and then ran it until 2013 in like the spring and I eventually shut it down just because well for a variety of reasons but really I I really wasn't that passionate about discounts <laughs> yeah. I mean it's hard to be passionate about it so I just found myself being like god what am I really doing like I'm spending all this time trying to get something off the ground that's you know going to save a person a dollar on a visit like I don't really care about that there was no there was no real meaning to it for me so I shut that company down. I was without a job. I was pretty much broke. I had like no money. I'd spent all my money on this company. I even, you know, I used to have a twin turbo Audi S4. <laughs> Loved that car. It was awesome. I, I sold that car and I rode a Vespa to fund that startup. <laughs> nice. So, so when, when that, uh, when that money ran out, you know, I was like, shit, I really need to get a job. So I moved back in with my parents. I uh, took about a month off and just was like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I also I also found some time to enjoy life. Went to Coachella down in uh, California and did a little bit of partying and uh, kind of reset my, you know, my uh, my mental clock, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and was well. kind of in search for, I was kind of in search for that next thing. You know, I was really in limbo trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do next? And yeah. so after, you know, getting back into the job hunt, I started talking to a lot of different companies and I eventually went to go work for Codefellows, which is where I met you guys. Mm-hmm. And so Codefellows, as you guys know, but maybe some people listening don't know, Codefellows is essentially a um, a vocational school for teaching people how to program computers, which I thought that was a very cool mission. It still is a very awesome mission. So you can go in there and you know you get signed up and you just, and you you know within a few months you are walk away learning how to program computers. Pretty cool. Uh, so I was there for about a month and a half, and then I realized, you know what, I'm, something's just missing. Like I'm just not, like I'm not really a programmer. I'm more in like sales, marketing, and product. So I ended up leaving, and I joined a company called Porch, and also a pretty cool company. You know what they were doing is around data in the in the home, um, and essentially the home improvement market. And it was also interesting, but after being there, I. I was, you know, it was a great team. Like, I'm not going to say anything bad about them at all. But I just found myself needing to be the one, you know, running the show, essentially. Like, leading 
leading the startup. Like I was, I was just missing the entrepreneurial nature of what I was doing. And so I had, a, it was a great job. I was paid really well, had great stock options, everything like that. But I decided to leave. And so I left to go join and I left after a month and a half, which is kind of crazy to most people. Um, I left to go join a consulting company that was doing essentially just like, uh, how would you describe it? Just, you know, recruiting, essentially recruiting talent and a, a typical, um, you know, recruiting type of consulting agency. And I was there for once again, like a couple months and I was just dying to get back into the entrepreneurial driver's seat. And that's when I had the idea for example box, which is what I'm currently doing now is, um, you know, I saw the, I saw the emergence of vaping because it tied back to what I had been doing back in 2010. And I had just seen the rapid growth. See that there was just a real problem. You know, it wasn't just one of those ideas where it'd be like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I saw this real problem of, you know, wow, you have all these products out there, um, you know, all these different e-liquids. So let me back up actually, because if you're listening to this, you're probably like, what the, you know, what the f, like, what the hell, what the hell is vaping? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, so, uh, so vaping is the same as electronic cigarettes. I'm sure you probably know about e-cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Do you guys know about this? Like, do you guys know about all the different components with e-cigarettes? No, all I know is like you put some juice in this e-cigarette and then you smoke it, and there's different flavors and they have nicotine in them. Yeah, so I'd say I'd say from like a, you know, I'd say that's pretty good. I'm sure that's more than what most people know. So basically, all e-cigarettes or vaporizers contain three main components. You have a battery. The battery heats up the atomizer which is essentially just a piece of metal that gets really hot. And then that atomizer then pulls hot air across the liquid, which is called e-liquid or e-juice or vaping liquid. It's all the same. And inside that liquid, you have essentially three base components and then flavoring. So those two base components, two of those base components are propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin and then nicotine. And then you have the flavorings. So from a perspective of cigarettes versus vaping or e-cigarettes, I mean, it's a massive reduction in terms of the amount of you know, different components you're putting in your body. Cigarettes, I think, have 5,000 plus different you know, chemicals of which only 10% are even documented. You know, they kind of get, they started studying and were like, oh my God, these are terrible. And then they just kind of gave up with the other 90%. So uh, from a harm reduction standpoint, you know, e-cigarettes are fantastic. Uh, and so... So basically, to go to go back to this problem that I noticed, I, I really saw the the growth of the industry and how there were so many different e-liquids, and there had to be an easy way to trial these different liquids because literally there are thousands of different manufacturers, and each one of these manufacturers has anywhere from five to three hundred different flavors. So you're talking about a huge, huge amount of products on the market with no real easy way to to figure out, you know, which ones are right for you. And, you know, I just thought there needed to be an easy way to try these products. And so looking at all the different business models out there, you know, Birchbox or any of the other subscription services mm. that do sampling of products, just, it was, it was meant to be for this industry. So I had that idea on September 29th. I only know that because Seahawks had just beat the Texans mm. and I was driving back in my, uh, in my Volkswagen GTI down, I five and I just had this like breakthrough moment and that's when I I recognized it and that night I went home I built the first version of the website 
the second day, I started showing that website to a bunch of different um, vaping groups on Facebook. So like places where essentially the target customer hangs out. Mm-hmm. And they then made suggestions of how to make it better. I took those suggestions in, put them on the website that night. Third night, The third day, I showed it to them again. They were like, yes, this is good. And then I started calling up um, some of the vendors, so some of the companies that make the products, and essentially pitched them on having the products included. And from that point on, it was just, you know, we were rocking and rolling. I mean, it was it was really like a success from from day one, which was pretty cool. That's wild. So, that's, so you've done, I mean, we're going to talk about you know, subscription services because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. But backing up, you've done tons of things in the past, tons of ventures. I'm curious to see what project you learned most from. So like which project, if you didn't have it, you would definitely not be where you were today. And what did you learn from that project? Yeah, that's a great question. It was definitely, well, each project or, you know, venture, you learn different things, right? Because you're always growing, that's for sure. But definitely, um, definitely Live Gather, which was the Photoshank startup, because that actually brought me into like the world of startups. And actually, it began to show me, you know, more about product development more it just it just showed it brought me into technology and technology has then been you know essentially my edge over other entrepreneurs that don't really understand it so it was definitely that that definitely was uh not only in terms of what i learned but my network and honestly one of the things i've really learned is that it's really about your network and, and not learning from just experiences within a business, but more so like learning from the people that are around you, because that's kind of where I really find I end up learning from. I don't, you don't really, you know, I mean, you do learn from like following guides online or listening to podcasts like this, but where, where I really learn is from like the people that are around me. And there are some key people that I was introduced to when I had that idea that if I was not introduced to them, I would, I don't even know where I would be today. Like it, my life would be way different. Like it was a huge turning point. And who were those key people? Yeah. So this is actually, I, I don't want to go into too much detail because it, it will take a long time, but yeah, like yeah. it was really crazy. So basically I had this idea for, I had this idea for live gather. I had been working on it. I, it was like the summer of 2009 or something like that. And I had, I had just been out of school for the summer and I had the idea and I was just nonstop on like Photoshop, like building this out. And then I'd been signing and I was kind of becoming like a, a madman with it. It was like my, I was like going crazy, like just, you know, on Photoshop and building this out and like, Oh my God, this is going to be so awesome. It probably doesn't hurt that, that I was taking a shitload of Adderall back in 2009. (laughs) So I was like, I was like really hopped up on it and everything. But, uh, but, but yeah, so basically, basically, there was this one day where my parents were like, "Hey, somebody's coming over to the house, and they're they're gonna like talk to us about this investment that they want us to invest in. Like, why don't you hang around and meet them?" And my friends were like, "I was gonna go meet up with my friends that day because they were I don't know, like having a summer party or something like that." But for whatever reason, I decided to stay and like hang out with my parents and meet this guy. And so I ended up listening to the conversation. It was all really interesting. And then at the end of the, that pitch between them, I ended up talking with the guy and I was, 
And my dad was like, hey, why don't you tell him what you're working on? And I was like, I gave him like the whole spiel. And he was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. Well, I don't know anything about that, but I know this guy that does, and I'm about to go meet with him right now. Do you want to come with me? So I literally like, you know, followed him. He was in his Lamborghini and I like followed him to this guy's house. And me and this guy like totally hit it off. The one that he introduced me to and totally hit it off. And he was more of like a, like an engineer. So he was like my first exposure to like an engineer or like a developer. And so we then began working, began working on this project. He is kind of like overseeing it and really like just giving me kind of like encouragement and help just helping me out from like a mentor's perspective. But he ended up introducing me to another person that would then introduce me to another person that became a developer on that team that I built. And then, yeah, it was just, it was all crazy how it all intertwined. And then basically when that startup fell apart, I ended up going to work with for the for summer. I went to go work on an internship with one of the people that I'd been introduced to. Yeah. So basically the guy, Scott, the guy's name was Scott that I introduced was introduced to first. He led me to Vishal Vishal was the engineer. Vishal then introduced me to his brother-in-law who's living in Portland, mm-hmm. who is like a systems administrator and also a CIO at InFocus. So I went and met with him and he began working on it with me. And he introduced me to this guy, Preston, who became a developer on the team. Then, you know, I ran with that idea for, let's say it was about like a year mm-hmm. and then it fell apart. And then I ended up going to work for Ben in Portland for that summer while I was in Portland during that summer is when I had the idea for Paid Punch, my second company. Mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy so how like, it, little Yeah, things. so it all like, is just totally intertwined. And if I hadn't if I hadn't stayed that one day exactly. and met that guy, I don't know what would have happened. Because it was a huge, huge turning point in my life. Yeah, you never know who you're going to meet. I mean, even if it's something as you know mundane as going to like – coffee with somebody that you know you don't really want to go to but you know they might have something to offer it's just ridiculous how some of the things could work out like that in, in your favor yeah speaking yeah. of uh even yeah. like, speaking of coachella for instance we were at uh coachella this past year this past april and uh we were standing next to this guy and we both like to surf you know we started getting about talking about surfing and we showed our fishing pictures um you know blah blah, blah. we kept talking whatever gives me his email I go and look him up, you know, after we leave Coachella, and it's the guy who founded Reef Sandals, you know, Santiago. No, eh. Yeah, so and it, it's just crazy, you know, this guy, this old dude standing next to me at Coachella. Like, would you have ever thought that, you know? like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really cool. Just like the people you'll meet just that, you know, when you have similar interests, it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, it's, it's, I mean, moving towards um, to Zample Box, we are today, you guys are killing it. Um, and you guys are moving forward. What's been some of the biggest challenges, maybe unique to subscription services or not unique, um, and growth? Just what, what have you learned the most of them? Um, what's next kind of, God, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. It's also, you know, really big. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of challenges that I just didn't think we'd have. And then there are a lot of things that, you know, just have been really great with subscriptions. So, Basically, I mean, so to keep it high level before I like dig down, subscription services, you know, I'm, I think that you have to look at each subscription service independently. So there are a lot of people that are like, oh, well, subscription services are like the new subscription economy. Like, it's great. Like, right. you'll just subscribe to the things you love. But the thing is, is in my opinion, there's a lot of subscription companies out there that I'd be really cautious of. And I'm very, 
like I don't know how they do it essentially because um, with Zamblebox, I mean, what we sell is we sell a subscription to a consumable that that you use every single month, and beyond that, the product we sell is also addicting. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> from a subscription standpoint, it's a very good subscription. Yeah, uh, we also deliver a lot of value on top of that subscription. But for example, uh, you know, like a subscription to shoes. There are those subscription services, and apparently, from an outsider's perspective, they've done well. But I just don't know that I, I don't know exactly what that would look like to actually be inside that business. So, so basically, I just want to say, while I'm speaking about subscription services, I'm speaking about one that's very particular and it's very it's very unique. So don't just think that like because Zamplebox has been successful as a subscription service that like selling, you know, a subscription to sandals is going to be a good subscription service. (laughs) So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, basically what happened is here's what happened is basically when I started Zamplebox, uh, the, the whole premise was, okay, I'm going to have it be really cheap and there's gonna be a lot of value because companies are gonna send send us product, and it's essentially gonna be a uh, you know a marketing channel for companies, right? So um, initially, that was it was working totally just completely fine, no problem. Companies were sending us product for free without any problem uh, because they were sending us like 300 bottles, 500 bottles. Um, then, you know, you fast forward like a couple months, we grew really fast and then we had all these other problems come up like payment processing. So because, because with Zamplebox, we are, um, we're, we're in a gray area of the market from the standpoint of like a bank, we're deemed to be a high risk payment processor or a high risk potential customer. So what we end up having to do is we have to pay higher rates and so these type of things, you know, not only affect margin, but they also make it harder to to really grow and scale because you can't just go with like somebody, someone like Stripe or, or or PayPal, where you essentially have no limit to your processing needs. So for us, we had to get approved for fifty thousand dollars a month uh, initially, and then we blew past that, and we had this huge problem actually in like you know November or not November in January where we blew way past that and we got like a hundred thousand dollars in processing and they were like they were like hey we're about to shut off your account because you've blown way through and so you can't process anymore on our on your account and that actually almost it almost took us out like we almost went under in our best month because of that and so that was like a really that was a really scary thing because it you know it shows you that there are good problems to have, but those good problems in terms of like growing too fast can also be really bad problems. So there have been a lot of ups and downs just, you know, in, in operating the business that I don't think I would have if it were a more traditional business. Um, so what did you guys end up doing? You know, did you, um, you know, contact the bank that, you know, said that and said, Hey, look, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. How'd you, yeah. how'd you convince them to, you know, keep, oh, God, it got really ugly because we had, they were, they unfortunately had the rights to our payment gateway. Cause so basically what you have is when you process payments, you have all these layers for payment processing. It's not just like visa just runs your card and you get the money. Like it's really complicated. So you have like a payment gateway, you hook up with that payment gateway. Then that payment gateway connects with the merchant bank account which then works with a bank to underwrite the risk. So basically I ended up contacting them and I was like, okay, look, 
we're going to have to leave. We're going to have to go to another, you know, we're going to have to go to another company because you're not going to give us more payment processing volume. So you're leaving us no choice. They were like, okay, well, that's not a problem, but we're going to keep like $20,000. I was like, oh my God. So anyway, I was like, okay, well, we went and opened up a new account and everything was good and we got, you know, the limits, we got the volume that we needed. And then I went back to them and I was like, okay, we just need you to switch over our information on our gateway to the new company. They're like, oh no, well, we're not going to do that because we own the gateway. So we, we can't do that. So all of our, all of your data, like all of our subscriptions, we're stuck with them. Mm. So then, I mean, we were about to like, you know, we probably had like a, few, like a couple of weeks until we were just going to get an irrecover, you know, an irreversible amount of bad press from that, right? So I ended up having to like, you know, threaten to get inter- attorneys involved and all this stuff. And eventually they kind of wised up and they allowed us to take that data with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. Those are, those are just real problems that, that come up, you know? Um, but yeah, I need to talk, let's, I think let's, we should probably switch gears a little bit and talk about probably some of the, the more exciting stuff. Yeah, definitely. let's hear about that, man. Like the psychology behind the subscription service just is awesome. You know, it's kind of like that adrenaline rush, like, oh, what's to come next, you know, in my box. It's to, to me, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the, the big things for Xamblebox are, first of all, we're, we're a community before we're a product. So like Xamblebox is a community. Like we have an awesome community of, of customers, you know, and family members online, um, with our own private members only group. And it's just awesome to see the level of engagement from the members. I mean, members, you know, will make their own videos and share the videos and, you know, it's, it's just really, really cool to see. Um, so that's, that's been really exciting. And, you know, just by, by sticking community first and just focusing on, you know, our current customers and giving them more value, that's really how we've grown. I mean, that's really been our playbook. Yeah, it, it seems like I know I, I look at you guys on Facebook and you have like the like, comment, share um, in order for your, you kind of do a lot of contests on there. And for you, that yep. seems like that's been like very successful for you. Yeah, well, so what's okay? So this is actually really interesting. So one of the most interesting things about Samplebox is with a vaping company, you fall into this gray area, like I kind of said before, which means that companies like Google, Facebook, they don't let you advertise. And so because of that, like it's really hard to advertise as a vaping company. Like you have to, I'll occasionally get through a promoted post on Facebook, but it's really hard. So what essentially has happened is that because we're kind of like the oppressed company, like nobody, like traditional marketing channels don't really work. We've had to figure out ways to hack it. Like we've had to get really smart and be really clever about all the things that we do. So like normally if you started a company like Samplebox, you'd be like, okay, like let's set up some PPC campaigns. Like let's do some Google AdWords. Like, okay, let's optimize our, our Facebook ads conversion funnel and like all of this. But for us, we're not able to do that. And so because of that, we've had to find these like really clever ways of marketing, which have actually made our business probably way more successful than it would have been if we had just been doing like these, you know, not these like tech marketing techniques that have no soul with your brand. Yeah, it's like an underground you know, like, type of community, you guys kind of. Yeah, and like you know, like YouTube. Like for example, because we couldn't go and market and advertise, like I turned to YouTube and I was like, okay, well, you have all these people online talking about vaping, so let's make sure they're all talking about Zamplebox. So that you know, we sent them all sample boxes and things like that, and you know, that's that's really been a huge way in which we've grown. 
that's so fascinating, dude. You're kind of like, you know, a rebel within the, you know, starting a new company. Kind of like your dad. You said he was pretty scrappy entrepreneur. Yeah, um, exactly. It's like you got you to gotta do that too, which is awesome, man. Yeah, exactly. Because, so it's like it's this challenge, though, for us because since you can't, since we can't tap into these like low hanging fruit scalable marketing channels like a PPC campaign or something like that, it's been really difficult for us to, you know, get to that scalable marketing channel. So that's why we're working on some much, much larger, like they're much larger scale marketing channels um, that that you know we'll have to figure out. Cost- Prospective ways to market through but yeah i mean it's just it's really not easy like it's non-typical like i really don't think that you could just take a you know digital marketer from like a typical you know typical startup and be like hey here's sample box go market it like they're gonna be like what i can't use google adwords wait what can't use facebook ads like huh what how does this work yeah isn't that that's just crazy man you know and it's like this is growth hacking at its finest you know there's that big kind of growth hacking community but man this is like oh totally that you know, so that's that's a great point. It's literally yeah. what we've done is growth hack. Yeah. So the uh, you're the Justin Bieber of growth hacking. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So like, you know, where do you see, you think in the future, you know, it's, it's going to continue to be this hard to market a product like yours or you think it's going to ease up? What do you think? Or I, I know you're hoping it'll get easier, I'm sure. Well, I think that, so it's it's interesting point because, I actually like how difficult it is because my honest feeling is that most entrepreneurs wouldn't be able to do what we do. And that's actually shown. So while we've had a lot of competitors start up, like being a monthly box subscription company, very few of them have actually been able to, you know, they haven't been able to find a channel to scale, right? Because it's difficult. So the things that we do are very, you know, they're very unique and they're unique to us. And I think they're hard to emulate. But once you have like a war chest of capital, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of other marketing avenues that really start to open up. And so, you know, that's, that's where my eye is, is, is getting to those larger, uh, ad buys. Like for example, you know, like Hulu, right? Like advertising on Hulu, you know, and things like that through through really like rich media that's really interesting to me yeah definitely so is that you know in the future you want to kind of have you know some ads on hulu hbo go netflix all that kind of stuff yeah exactly i think that that's i think that's the direction we're going you love the uh the challenge it looks like right have you always done that yeah definitely i mean my whole thing is i just like to i just like to kind of you know be a hacker in a way like i don't program right so i never really like embrace the term hacker but (laughs) but the reality is is i i'm i like being clever you know i like i like i like cheating (laughs) (laughs) i like to to figure out ways to like break the system so (laughs) so yeah i mean that's what i really like to do right so if you tell me like for example what you said about like comment share on facebook that's exactly right i mean facebook wants to now you know, this, their algorithm, I don't know if you guys know this, but they've changed their algorithm so much. Like now we have over 20,000 people on Facebook, but when we make a post, it's probably only seen by like 1,100, 1,200 people. Mm. But if we do like, comment, share, and we do a, a nice giveaway with it, I mean, that post will be seen by 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. 
So like I, you know, you started with the subscription e-cig juice. Um, and now I saw, do you guys have your own kind of e-cig device, the device you put the juice in? Yeah. So now we, you know, we do make our own, uh, hardware as well. And we'll be continuing to offer more and more hardware as we grow. Um, but the idea is really to be this kind of one-stop shop where somebody can, you know, get a, get a, uh, get a you know vaporizer and get a subscription and really be set and then from there they can discover new flavors they love and then go buy those flavors what's some of the most uh interesting kind of uh subscription services that you've seen like the most interesting one huh i mean that's a good question um in terms of like monthly box subscriptions yeah or you know weekly or whatever it is yeah, well, there's there's this one that's really interesting. I think it's called Stitch Fix. So what they do is it's like for women's clothing. So like basically they take all your dimensions and and whatnot. And they send you a bunch of different clothes, and then if you want to keep them, you just hang on to them and they bill you for them, or you can send them back. But they basically it's kind of interesting because they're basically just like bombarding you with clothes, of which a lot of people will just be lazy and just like you know keep it all. But it, it's really interesting, like what they're doing. They have a lot of, uh, they're using a lot of interesting data. And uh, yeah, I just find it to be very interesting. But I think, think that in that type of model, it also requires a lot of cash. And what I'm, you know, given, given like my age and kind of where we're at, like I would prefer to not, um, I'd prefer to have a win under the belt than instead of like kind of just keep gambling everything and swing for the fences like i'd rather at this point i'd rather like get on base i'd rather have a high on base percentage than just like go up there and swing for the fences and strike out a lot if that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean so you've been a serial entrepreneur up until now do you see that changing or you kind of just want to switch into making sure you've got at least one base covered and then you can kind of go at it again as a serial entrepreneur um no, I'm definitely a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, the reality is, is I'm not going to act like I have all the answers because, you know, I'm I'm 24. The reality is even if you're 50 years old, you still don't have all the answers, right? There's always more to learn. And it's, it's just hard to say because, like, people say, like, oh, what's your five-year plan, you know? Or, like, oh, what's your, what's your you know, three-year plan? Honestly, screw that. Like, who? Mm-hmm. Try to tell me a one-year plan. Like the reality is, is the world changes so fast. You can't have a five-year plan today. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think it's ridiculous that people say they have a five-year plan. It's like yeah. the iPhone came out literally like six years ago. Are you kidding me? Like the world was a totally different place. Yeah. No one had a clue. Yeah, I think like you're on the right track with, you know, these days because it is changing so fast. I think a lot of people are going to have to learn to be more scrappy, you know, and kind of. You can't read a book or an article on how to do exactly everything. So, and you see that a lot down here in Columbia, actually, you know, they, the way they work with certain companies and, you know, some of the tasks they have to do, they definitely, you know, hack the system. So, um, you know, maybe down here they think, oh, they're behind, they don't have this or this, but in reality now, maybe they're just ahead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really good point. It's, It's hard to say. It is just crazy how fast the world moves. I mean, it's it's uh, very it's very incredible. I mean, I just yeah, like if you're if you're a really big company, I just don't understand how you keep up. I mean, you have to just keep up through acquisition because there's no way that you can just innovate. I mean, there's just you can't keep up. Like I think that 
I think that like, you know, as much as, as much as it's easy to say like, there's a startup bubble, I really don't think there is. Like I, I actually was kind of on that bandwagon of thinking that like there was a bubble mm-hmm. and there might be in terms of valuations, but in terms of a trend, there's definitely not. I mean, the, the cost of starting a company and with all of these, you know, like SaaS companies out there where you can just quickly like plug and play a few different services together and pretty much have like 80% of a company up and running and then just innovate the other 20% to add value. It's, it's like kind of mind blowing, honestly. Yeah. yeah. One random question, um, you know, kind of offbeat, but if there was a drink named the Tony Mondorano, what would it would be, would be in it? <laughs> Uh, well, honestly, I just, I love dark and stormies, so I'd probably just have it be a dark and stormy. What's a dark and stormy? <laughs> yeah. What is that, man? <laughs> I think it's dark and stormies are ginger beer and dark spiced rum. Oh, I'm going to have to try that next time we hit the yeah, bar. It's very good. I highly recommend that drink. It's honestly my favorite. Rum a little bit really of good. spice to it. It's just really good. On ice? Yep. Yep. Okay. Really good. And, you know, if you had to give any tips to someone who wanted to start a subscription service or some kind of, you know, small tech, co- tech company, what would good advice would you give them? Mm, make sure you're not a entrepreneur. <laughs> make, sure you're, make sure you're in it for all of the right reasons and you're not, you know, you're not just thinking it's a good business, but that you're just passionate about building things. Because any of the, any additional advice of like, you know, do this, do that. I just don't really buy it. Like, I think that really good entrepreneurs have, and I'm not saying about this about myself, but just from what I witness is like really good entrepreneurs. They have intuition of knowing who to listen to and when, and they have this really strong like filter of when knowing when to say no you, like that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And oh yeah, this person, what he's telling me is right, and I'm going to do that. Yeah. Like so, so I don't think I'd really give like any, honestly, one specific yeah. advice. The, Just make sure that you are, make sure you're ready for what's going to come. <laughs> the the bullshit meter. We talked to uh, the one of the guys, the guy who brought venture capital to Uruguay, and that was the exact same piece of advice that he gave. Is no. Um, you know, who to listen to and, and know who not to. Yeah, because everybody everybody wants to get their hand on the ball, right? Everybody's gonna have something to say. And if you treat if you weight each one of those individually, you know, or if you weight each one of those equally, you're gonna end up with, you know, a clusterfuck of different inputs, right? Yeah. I mean like yeah, it's that's one of the things that just really kind of bothers me is is like giving equal weight to all opinions like I, I do think that certain opinions are carry more value than others and you have to know which ones to listen to and which ones not to yeah so it's kind of like the art of saying no you know oh it's true i think the hardest thing is i think like the hardest thing but most important thing is saying no like if you say yes, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like if you say yes all the time, even to yourself, you're going to get screwed because you're going to be doing too many things at once. Like that's, that's, that is my biggest problem. That's by far my biggest fault by far is that I try to do too many things at once and not focus. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you see a lot of people too that are like, Oh, I'm going to do like, 
five different things at one time, man. But you know, at the end of the day, in terms of productivity, you get nothing done because you're too worried about focusing on too many things. Oh, yeah, you're so right. I mean, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly what happens. So it's way better to instead of doing like five different things, or instead of even realistically doing like three things, you know, over over three years, it'd be better to do like one thing for one year, like go 100% and then, and then exit, you know, like sell it off and then take that capital, go do the next thing and go 100% and then, you know, and then leave and then go do the next thing and, and just go forward like that. Yep. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, Tony, it's been a good talk. You know, I'm, to me, it was the most interesting talking about how scrappy you are, you know, with Zampo box kind of being in the gray area in terms of the business world and, you know, it's awesome, and I'm sure you're going to kill it in the future. I know you'll kill it in the future. So, um, yeah, man, thanks again, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, cool, definitely. And uh, you guys have fun on all your travels. I'm, I'm very jealous. It's uh, it's not that exciting up here in Redmond, Washington, that's for sure. <laughs> well, man, if you get some extra time, come down to Columbia. <laughs> I'll have to do that. You're looking to expand into a, into a market. That's right. Well, if you guys are going to be there for a long time, then uh, actually do let me know about that because yeah. there's a lot of opportunity down there. Yeah, definitely. We'll let you know, man. All right. Well, it's cool. good talking to you. Talk to you soon. Yep. Take it easy. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any feedback on the show or would like to recommend anyone that should be on a show, feel free to send us an email at andrew at yumas.co or armand at yumas.co. And yumas is spelled Y-U-M-A-S. If y'all would like to give us a virtual high five, Feel free to do so by subscribing to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and we would love you forever. And we would love you even more if you could write a nice little review and give us a five-star rating. That would be super awesome. In order to keep the show going, we really need your support. If you can share this with your friends on Facebook and Twitter, that would be the greatest compliment that you could give us. Talking like it's just you and me. I'm just saying how I feel, man. I ain't one of the Cosby's. I ain't go to hell, man. I guess the money should have changed them. I guess I should have forgot where I came from.